Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who have great personalities Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Welcome, everyone, to Wood Talk number 313 for June 13th. Well, that's weird. 2016. On today's show, we're talking about sheet goods for exterior use, Japanese saws versus Western saws, and tool recommendations gone wrong. But before we get to that, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Kalo Rings. Kalo is the functional wedding ring for your hardworking hands. Kalo silicone wedding rings are safe for your finger, and now the new quality collection rings made with Q2X. That always throws me off, but I'm, I'm going to try and be a little more fluid about it. Q2X material. <laughs> are 10 times more resistant to gas, oil, and solvents and less rigid than traditional silicone. Kalo rings are incredibly comfortable and start at just $15.99. Head to Kalo.com, that's Q-A-L-O.com, and use the discount code WOODTALK for 15% off your order, and we'll talk a little bit more about them later on. Hear Matt's experience with his ring. That should be riveting and awesome. <laughs> I can't wait. But you're ringing you, in your ears. Yes, you guys have to wait riveting for it. Riveting and awesome. That's right. Uh, and if you want to help uh, support the show, you can. Just go to woodtalkshow.com, look over in the side column at the donation links, and if you do, we will thank you at the beginning of the show, just like we did for those people who we didn't mention their names, because they didn't. They didn't. They didn't. So, uh, but if you want to, you know, there, there's obviously uh, there's room for you. We'll t- we'll take it, um, and we'll read your name at the beginning of the show. Uh, but thanks to everybody who does that. And here's the thing: we can't thank all the recurring donors all the time. But um, it's it's nice to see you once in a while a recurring donation pops up in the inbox, um, and we want to thank those people too. Um, you are not forgotten for your continued support. We appreciate that. Hey, you know what? Maybe one day we'll do like a Patreon thing, and we'll have some sort of continuous reward sort of thing set up for you. Maybe that'll be a, a thing to do. Maybe. I don't know. We'll continuous see. live stream of our faces. Ooh. And always see our facial expressions everything we're doing. That's worth paying but for. But you can't see what we're doing. Just no, what we no. look like. Though that could get really weird really quickly. <laughs> All right. So let's get into what's on the bench. Um, I, I got to tell you guys, I feel like an assembly line worker and uh, it's not it, it's not that fun. Uh, I am working on this this Honda thing. And I'm prepared to talk about it a little bit more this week. So uh, I'm building four projects and we're trying to get everything done within the course of 12 days. And of course we're behind schedule. Um, and the, the, the thing, the thing that's really like hitting me across the face hard with like a piece of plywood, a scrap piece of plywood across the face is that building at this 
this rate, trying to get this many projects done in this short a period of time, gives me just a little bit of insight into what it's like to be sort of one of those weekly project content producers. And, (laughs) and I've actually, you know, uh, and I'm sure you guys have too, you see other people do this and a natural part of running a business online is to evaluate what, what other people are doing and decide, Hey, is that something that maybe we should do? So I can't, you know, I have to admit it has crossed my mind at some point in the past is a weekly format for a project based show. Is that something that we could possibly do? And, uh, you know, even back then I, I said, no, it doesn't make any sense for, for the way I build furniture and what I do. Um, but this, this has been a very good affirmation of that decision because <laughs> I'm telling you, it's like the pace, the pace is breakneck. I'm trying to get this stuff done. It means I'm taking shortcuts. The uh, the quality of my just general workmanship by nature to get done in this period of time has got to be less than what it could be. Otherwise, I could not work like this in the long term. It would be so incredibly unsatisfying to produce. Now, granted, the projects I'm making are very cool, uh, and I think they're going to be like really fun weekend projects for people to do. So don't don't take it the wrong way. I'm putting as much as I can into it uh, based on the the confines of the situation. But when you compare it to the satisfaction of building a barrister's bookcase, having a project in the shop for a few weeks, getting to know it, getting to put a lot of myself into it, it makes me feel like this is just. You know, I'm just a cog in the machine pumping this thing out. And, and by nature, the quality of this thing that I'm building can only get so good uh, with, with that sort of situation. So when I look at folks who are producing on a weekly basis, you know, good for them to be able to do it. But I can't imagine producing anything of quality. And I'm talking about when my hands. I just can't work that quickly. And it would be so unsatisfying to have a project in and out. And then, oh, it's next week, in, out. There's another one. Oh, you know what? Two weeks later, here's another one, in, out. Like, I, I couldn't do it. It's very frustrating. So, but you know what's interesting is we used to, like, back back in the day. Back when <laughs> I was your aunt. I mean, that was kind of the thing. Like, in 2008, 2009, you put out a new episode every single week. But And I guess what it was, I guess it wasn't all project-based. It was a lot of... You know, back when we hadn't talked about everything, you can still, See, there was more stuff to talk about. I'm not talking about just weekly content in general. I'm talking weekly projects. Yeah. So if I did a weekly video, it was a part of a larger project, like maybe a month long project. All right. So this is, this is saying I've got to design something that can be built, filmed, edited, and ready to roll for Friday. And there's no way I could produce at that rate and still be yeah. proud of what I'm putting out. Well, I think the quality bar for the actual video itself has gone up so much that yeah. that part's hard to do too, you know, right. trying but to be even, creative and not, not just show the same project type videos. And we've talked about the whole, like, put it on 4,000% and let it go yeah, with, yeah. like music, you know, that's almost not acceptable anymore. Yeah. And the projects have all, you can't say the projects have all been done, but like, no one really wants to do a pin turning video because there's 9,000 of them, you know, it's yeah. like. Um, yeah, it's, it's well, even if you do, you know, and just video aside, not even concerned about the video aspects. If you build something in a week, you have limitations on how good it can be. And even if the plan, like maybe you sketched it out in SketchUp and, and conceptually the plan is good in order to get it done in time, that thing that you made is probably going to fall apart in a couple of weeks. Like it's really hard to make something that's going to last. Like it might look good for the, for the video you're making, you know? Um, but by nature I'm noticing with, again, that's why I stand behind the design of some of these things, but the actual product that I made, 
I'm not 100% sure how long that thing is going to stay together because I had to rush it for the sake of the, the production. You know, and again, production stuff aside, woodworking-wise, could you, uh, Matt, I'm curious w- w- with you, could you imagine yourself building anything of quality within a one-week time period? And, and let's say it's a larger-scale project, n- not not like a small jewelry box. Probably not. I mean, that's, I kind of had that same thought process when I came into doing it full-time. Yeah. It's like, or when I started just doing more content on my channel, it was more like, I know that I can't do a project video every week because I don't do projects that even take up one week most of my projects are multi-month yeah so i started doing my shop update as a way to do a weekly piece of content that still has some value and then a lot of my other videos are more i don't know like talking based videos where i kind of explain a concept a short technique or something to fill the time between the major projects yeah yeah and i know a lot of people get upset when we talk about the video production aspect but um, i'm going to say this now get used to it because I think this is this is going to become a venue for us to talk a little bit more about what we do. And that's woodworking and filming woodworking. So I'm trying to keep this more focused on the projects. But for us, it's it's they're so intertwined um, yeah. that it's very difficult for us to separate the video production side of what we do out of the woodworking production side. But that that's something I'll put to the audience. Like, do you do you guys ever build anything in a week's time? I mean, obviously, if you're you know at a pro level, you might have to do certain things at that rate. Um, but for for most people, I think just to do anything in that time frame, it, it must be really difficult um, to produce anything of quality. And, and this reminds me too of how many times I've seen in forums and uh, emails that I've seen go around where people take one of those well-known projects. And I don't want to throw anybody under the bus here, but the one that comes up a lot is like an Anna White farm table. And it's like, oh, I followed her instructions to a T and this thing looks like crap six months later because it totally like it totally ignored wood movement rules. Why? Well, because wood movement rules would require you to do a certain type of joinery that would allow that movement to occur. And the the project has to go together in a day. So we can't we don't have time to do those things. You know what I mean? So I think a lot of these projects, I would love to see how they look six months later. And if they're not in a garbage can or a, a dumpster after six months, I don't know. I just don't think it's physically possible for me anymore. Like I can't <laughs> get enough and it has nothing to do with, with hand tools or anything. I just don't get enough consistent hours yeah. in the shop. You know, you're talking a week. We'll assume like based on a 40 hour work week, you know, because that's kind of the, the paradigm. I can't get 40 hours in the shop. Like if you put a gun to my head, I'm lucky if I get eight in a week. And especially because I'm a hand tool woodworker, you know, by choice, that's the way I love to work. I don't think I, I don't think it's possible. I'm with Matt yeah. on the multi-month thing. I'm guessing in some the, instances, the multi-six month thing. I would guess the vast majority of our audience is like that too. They're probably working, you know, full-time jobs and the amount of time they have in the shop, uh, you know, just they can't get that much done. And the question is, when you're in the shop, do you want it to be taking shortcuts, going at a fast pace because you want to get this thing done in a week? Or are you taking it at a slower pace, kind of enjoying what, what the craft has to offer and hopefully making a really high quality thing, you know, when it's well, all said and done? I mean, I built a, I built a little display shelf. Uh, it's part of a three project commission I did last year. And I've, I've got the video out on the display shelf. I had, I want to say it was like five hours of time to build it based upon like the billable hours and what I was, what I was pricing at. And I think I ended up coming in like five minutes under that. Yeah, that's right. Because a YouTube troll gave me a hard time about, (laughs) I should work that extra five minutes instead of ripping off the customer or something, something like jaw droppingly stupid. Right. But like I did it, I, I built it and, you know, I made my, my, um, my goal, if you will, 
But I think in real time, it took me a week and a half, you know, five hours spread over a week and a half because I was 30 minutes here, an hour there. Mm -hmm. You know, the longest consistent time that I actually worked on the project at one shot was finishing, yeah. you know, and that was spray a coat, you know. Uh, in the in the direct sunlight, so like wait two minutes. <laughs> right, <laughs> Same right. between coats, spray a coat, wait two minutes. You know, and and that was the longest I ever did. The rest of the time, it was fifteen twenty minutes here at a time. You know, it, it certainly adds up to that finished project. But now there's no way. I, I could wonder do if it. that's a deterrent to people who get started in the craft. Like, let's say they do, they like what I don't know. For instance, the three of us do a little bit more uh, longer time investment projects, and if you can only get in there for a few hours a week it means you may be working on a project for a year, you know? So I wonder if that may push people to do um, lower quality projects or easier projects, let's say, um, to allow them to get something like concrete done for all the time they put in the shop. Because you know how it is. A lot of the times, if you have a full-time job and you want to spend all your like extra time in the shop, you kind of have to justify that time there. Uh, mm -hmm. I know when I was, was full-time and was just doing woodworking for fun, I felt like I needed to make things to bring them back in the house and show Nicole, like, yeah, this is why I was in the shop every night this week after dinner, <laughs> instead of sitting on the couch watching TV <laughs> with you, is because I was building this thing that you now get to enjoy. And that made it okay, you know? So I wonder how hard it is for people to pick the right project that gives them the satisfaction uh, of getting something done in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah, one of the things that I've been trying to do lately with my videos is kind of like intertwine like some like some some indication of how long things are taking because with the videos like you're watching someone do something you're like oh look how fast it is yeah but then like you go and you do it yourself like this is a lot longer so I try and at least maybe put in like well when I did the crib I said how long each spindle took me to give people an idea of how long it took just to do the spindles yeah you know so Actual it's like oh time. the spindles took like. Uh, two minutes on camera here. So it should be like, you know, two minutes, uh, up spindle. No, yeah. uh, -uh. you know, <laughs> no, otherwise was... you're just watching these videos. You think that you just pop this stuff out. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean that the, the, one of the videos I'm doing right now is for this convertible bench. All right. So it's, it, it does, it does something you'll see uh, eventually, but in order to do this, I had to take these shapes and flush trim them together to make bundles of three. So each piece is constructed of three pieces of plywood in a particular shape. So I had to rough cut all those out, and put the bundles of three together. And I think I had like 15 or 16 of those bundles to make. So what I wound up doing was calculating because I, I needed to know one day we had to go somewhere and people were coming over for dinner and I had to figure out how much time it takes me to do each bundle so I could estimate how much, you know, how many hours I would be in the shop that day. And I calculated out to be 30 minutes from start to finish. And this is after the shape was rough cut. So to bring these three pieces together, glued together and all flush trim to be in the same shape, it was 30 minutes. So I started to do the math on, you know, like I cannot believe this one simple thing that I'm doing right now is going to take me like 10 hours of actual work <laughs> to, to get this thing done. You've got to be kidding me. Um, but it's nice to, to represent that in the video. I like that tactic, uh, because you're right. The whole new Yankee workshop thing, like, Oh, he just did that in a half hour, you know, or, or even the way he does it. I mean, Norm, I think worked pretty quickly. Um, cause he would get things done seemingly in like a two day span. He wouldn't show the setup either. It's right. like, Oh, I'm just walking over my dovetail jig and just knock out all these drawers real quick. I didn't show like the two hours of setting up this yeah, jig to be he's perfect. Got the, he's got the manual out. He's, you know, calling a phone number. Look, I, I've this thing is just that it's always off every day. Oh, okay. I have to be, okay, perfect. Let me set it up this way. I mean, that's what I do with my lead jig. Every time I, I use that thing, I've got to account for like two hours of opening the manual and remembering how to set the thing up <laughs> every time. So anyway, so that, that's me feeling like, uh, 
a line worker and that is not the way I want to do woodworking. Um, not, so, I mean, I'm enjoying the projects in, in the sense of like busting out four projects is pretty cool and having content for the site is cool and working with Honda is cool. Um, but ultimately the, the, the little woodworker inside me is, is yearning for something of, of higher quality <laughs> uh, and it's, it's not going to happen for a little while. But anyway, Shannon, tell us about turning bowls outside. I actually saw a picture on Facebook. I think of your, uh, your lathe and you were very excited about turning. Oh yeah. I, I really, well, I have a bit of a lathe addiction. We all know that. Yes, you do. Um, <laughs> but I, I really have a soft spot for the bungee lathe that I built just because it's so cool to get outside in the backyard. And I've got this uh, really nice maple tree that like overhangs it and puts it in the shade. And it's just, it's kind of this bucolic type setting. It's just a wonderful place to be. But I have um, several uh, several gifts coming up, graduation gifts, of, of birthday gift for a mother-in-law, uh, Father's Day gifts, things like that, that um, these are all people that actually like follow me-ish on Facebook. So it's like nothing that I could really publish or, or talk about because they'll see their, quote, surprise gifts. I assume they don't listen to Wood Talk. Does anybody <laughs> listen to Wood Talk? Nobody no. listens to Wood Talk. No. So no. Um, I was uh, digging through my green stash. I've got some um, uh, sycamore. I've got some cherry. I've got some walnut. And well, the walnut is green-ish. <laughs> it's, it's, it's old green wood. Um, but then my neighbor just took down, um, oh, what was that? Uh, took down a dogwood and then uh, an Asian Asian cherry you or something like that something i'd never heard of mm -hmm. very very weird wood um very very wet wood um like wear face shield just to keep stuff like juice from squirting in your eyes oh, that sounds um, fun yeah I, I i'm not quite sure what i'm going to do with it because i was i was turning it and it, it's cutting cutting fine because it's sopping wet but at the same time like what is this gonna do like it is so unbelievably wet <laughs> I think, you know, you, you turn it, like turn a bowl and leave it, the walls thick or whatever for it to warp out of shape. I think I need to leave this like with two inch thick walls. Right. Just in case. <laughs> it's like some sort of big earthenware crock right now, because God knows what's going to happen to this thing. I have no experience with the wood and I need to, I need to look it up because I'm, I'm, I'm not saying what the species is. I'm not saying it correctly, but it was just a lot of fun. We've had some pretty nasty, uh, a lot of rain. We've had a lot of wind lately. And this weekend it was hot. But it was a dry heat, so it's easy. Yeah, no, I mean I love dry heat. Really, really humid, but the wind was so high that it was like sweeping away the humidity. So it was like really kind of refreshing to get outside instead of hiding in the AC. And I, I just loved it. I spent about six hours in my backyard with my hook tools on the bungee lathe, just uh uh what I cranked out. Five bowls on the bungee lathe. It's a lot of fun. Nice. Were you out there like I can, I can picture it ready. You're out there, you're shirtless. There's beads of sweat running down your back. Your wife comes out with a lemonade. You take a break, you wipe your brow, oh, take yeah. a sip of the lemonade. And she just gives you that little look, you know, yeah. you know what's happening later on. Thank that you, mother. <laughs> yeah. You're on your way. Uh, <laughs> awesome. I had uh let's see at one point I Life had the, on the Orioles baseball game on, listen to them, get the crap kicked out of them by Toronto. And then I had uh, uh some grateful dead. It's so anachronistic. I'm out there on a bungee lathe with a Bluetooth speaker playing, you know, music <laughs> off of my iPhone. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's fun, but you know, I've got a, a chaise lounge next to it. So you turn a bowl and then go, sit down and, and take a little nap and then go turn a bowl. It was nice. There it was my go. longest period of, of woodworking all at once in many, many months. 
sounds good though. Sounds like a good time. I really want to try, I think it's called a Kuxa. It's like a little handled mug. Uh, I see Jared Stone doll turning them all the time on Instagram and it's something that's very specific to the reciprocal lathe because you're actually turning it with the handle in place and you just can't do that on a continuous motion lathe. You have to cut right up to the handle and then it spins back towards you and you cut again. I've never tried it, but I keep hmm. wanting to do it. Um, I would love so to I see that. Interesting. Yeah. I, and I've never actually seen anybody turn one. So yeah. I'm not, I'm just imagining how I would go about doing it. So it probably will be a horrific failure for the first couple of <laughs> But I've got a, a fair amount of, of green wood now um, chopped out into turning size blanks instead of big logs because mm-hmm. I just keep the wet stuff in log form to try to keep it uh, keep it wet. Uh, but now I've got like what eight more blanks sitting outside in my lumber shed that are in bowl ish shapes. So right, right. I don't know. I think I might try to get out there again as long as the weather holds. Get out sometime this week and try one of those. Um, I think I'm saying it right. A kuksa K U K S A. K-U-K-S-A. I'm going to look yeah. that up. Some sort of Norwegian type. Oh, look at that. It's like a, I don't know. It's a little mug. Yeah. With a handle, you know. And it's like you dip it into a barrel of water, take your drink, pass it on yeah. to the next member in the tribe type of thing. Yeah. Dip it in the barrel of water and dump it over your head in that slow motion kind of sexy time. Right. Yeah. Just as your wife is walking <laughs> away, you're like. <laughs> Since I'm already shirtless with sweat <laughs> dripping down me, you know. Yeah. It's, you may as well. There is uh, nothing, nothing better than a wet Shannon. I'll tell you that. All right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this took a really dark turn. I am so sorry, everyone. Please don't. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm into it. I like where this is going. So, Matt, did you keep your clothes on this uh, this weekend or did you, go, um, did you go shirtless for the hell of it? Well, I usually am just because I'm always wearing a sweater. May as well. Oh, nice. You like that? <laughs> very well. Very well done. <laughs> Clever. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> cool, man. So what's going on? Uh, oh, man. So I think like the last probably like month I've been hauling these giant logs from this uh, log pile, and uh, last week and the week so the week before I went to Toronto it was the the test of the of the trailer it was like the weight capacity test I picked up the biggest thing that I could ever put on the trailer, and then this last week I picked up something that was physically the biggest thing I could fit through the arch, <laughs> and that was incredibly annoying. Wow. And. It was really humid that day, and I was really like really pissed off the whole time because it was just like too big and it wouldn't fit in these certain places. I have to like roll it around and maneuver it with my PV, and I'm not very big, and this thing weighs a lot more than I do. So it was very interesting trying to get the thing on the trailer, but I got it back here. It's a big um, silver maple crotch. It's like a three-way crotch. Okay. So it was uh, very antagonizing. Yeah, but worth it. I'm I'm assuming. Did you did you get a chance to cut the thing? Uh, I just. Trimmed it up a little bit. It's uh, pretty similar for, to the... I got a maple crotch a few weeks ago. Pretty much the same thing, a little bigger. Okay. So I was been, I've been working my way up through the pile from the smallest to the largest log. Nice. Man, but, I've got uh, so, all, so much envy up. over that. Just the, the, the thought of having these beautiful logs out there. You know, it's like Christmas when you open them up and get to cut them open. And, ah, and it's all rough and thick instead yeah. of like, like thin and sickly looking like the stuff I have to buy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so no, this is some pretty big firewood. Yeah, oh, that's great though. Well, very cool. Yeah, glad to have those back here. I got a whole lineup of them now, so now I need a bigger way to cut them, or need a bigger saw to cut them with because they're so they're so big. Oh, no kidding. Have you thought about <clears throat> like dabbling in the whole like riven wood type stuff and producing riven blanks and everything? I mean, now that 
Yeah, you um, need pretty straight trees for that, though. Yeah, no question. But, I mean, you run across quite a few logs. I don't know if you ever run into something that looks pretty straight. Yeah, occasionally. Most of the, uh, I don't know, it depends on what I, I find, I guess. Most of the time looking for these giant weird things because that's what I'm into. At least these that's things true. were. They were all like, uh, they were yard trees. So they were just massive. Yeah, they're, and they were really like, there's like super probably, There's probably a very, very few instances of yard trees that are straight grain. Because usually oh. they get lots of sun and they branch out all over the place and they end up being real gnarly and stuff. No one, no one prunes them for saw logs. They right, leave, exactly. They want to to uh, get a canopy going really yeah. close to the ground. Right. So instead of chasing the branches up the, the trunk for like the first 16 feet, they just let it clump out. Yeah. It's like my hair if I let it grow. <laughs> That's what it reminds me of. All right. Just clumps out. Yeah, yeah. it just clumps out. It's, it's a, a little, little munchy tea. It's, all, it's a canopy <laughs> close to the ground. It's terrible. <laughs> God. <laughs> and the other thing I was working on this last week was some improvements to the trailer. Um, just to make it a little bit easier for me to load logs. I've been, I've been welding up some uh, some shackle mounts on the trailer itself and then on the arch just to make, you know, chaining things up a little bit easier. And then in the shop this week, I've been working on making cutting boards, trying to get rid of some scrap and, you know, get some more space. Uh, I feel like my shop always gets full of crap and it's always not like stuff. It's always wood. <laughs> Like offcuts and pieces of wood everywhere. Yeah, it just takes up so much space. Yeah. Like, where did all this come from? <laughs> yeah, and then then I mean, how many cutting boards are you getting out of this? Because you you just did a batch not too long ago, right? I did a batch about six or eight months ago. I made okay. forty five sixteen by twelves. Um, this time I'm making. Uh, I started gluing them up today, but I have uh, five sixteen by twenty fours, and I'll probably get another like ten. 16 by 12s or so. Wow. Something like that. Did we ever ask you, what do you, do you sell those? What do you do with them? I sell, I sell like probably half of them and the other half, like I have for gifts for people. Yeah. So we save some money on like wedding gifts or housewarming gifts or those are perfect. shower gifts or yeah, you whatever. know, you know what Nicole's gotten good at doing. She's gotten good at like giving them away before I've made them. So, <laughs> so she's like, yeah, Mark's oh, going to make you a cutting there. board. Yeah. I'm like, I am uh, not going to make a cutting board. Like that's not on my agenda right now. Don't do that. <laughs> I would love to have like a closet full <laughs> of a bunch yeah. of end grain cutting boards. I could just yank out and be like, here you go. Here I you keep go. A stack of them here. <laughs> yeah. So we'll just grab them and go smart. Uh, you know, what's funny. Oh, I've got, nice. I've got the, like yeah. the pre cutting board blank, you know, you, you, you glue up the, the edge grain blanks and then you saw them and turn them on end and flip them to create the checker pattern. Mm-hmm. The, before you actually saw the strips out to turn them on end, I've got one of those long blanks like already glued up and like surfaced and everything and ready for sawing. Yeah. Right. I've been hanging on to it for like six years. <laughs> Still get to it eventually. Like, well, you know, I, I made up extra the last time I made a bunch of cutting boards and, um, frankly, one of my least favorite things to do is glue up cutting boards. Yeah. Oh, really? it so many glue lines and all these clamps and glue gets everywhere. And it's just, just, just one of those cumbersome kind of tedious things. So I glued up exactly the number of cutting boards. I or rather, I cut up exactly the number that I knew that I needed with a couple extra in case, you know, I screwed up or whatever. And then I had this, like, it's probably about a 48 inch long blank still left over. I was like, oh, I'll stick it up on the shelf next time I need to do some cutting boards. <laughs> Five years later, yeah, it's it's still sitting on the shelf. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> yeah. I like gluing them up. Well, I like gluing up the end grain boards. I don't really care for gluing up the blanks because, like, 
I use all the, all the scraps and all like the little tiny strips of stuff. So I'm gluing up like you know 20, 30, 40 strips of wood into one blank. That gets kind of annoying. But like where I'm at right now, I'm like taking little pieces and mixing them together and glue them together. I like that because it goes pretty quickly. Yeah, it's you know it's really a good use of stock. I mean, those little pieces. There's so much that over the years, you know, I, I hate to admit it, but you know, it happens. If you're producing projects, you just have to throw some stuff away at some point. But you know, it, it, it's always that balance of time and trying to figure out. Well, I could do that. Like I could make 20 cutting boards. Or I could just kind of, you know, take the domestics and use them in the smoker and then get rid of any small pieces of exotics that I just have no use for. Um, and I feel bad doing it, but it, sometimes I just can't invest that time. But man, the cutting board idea, I think that's that's good. I'm going to have to keep that in mind. It's definitely a time investment. Like, I'm not going to even like try and argue that one. Yeah. It's a huge time investment. It's, it's, it's really funny because it takes more time to use scrap wood than it does <laughs> to go grab a new board and make a cutting board out of a new board like uh, significantly more time. No, that makes sense. And that's part of the, 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 the challenge in deciding if it's the value proposition there, is it actually worth doing that to save those, those pieces? But, um, so I do it for the wow factor. Yeah. Like last time it was like the wow factor. The How giant stack of cutting boards. Yeah. That, can that, I get a stack taller than me? It doesn't take much, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I uh, expect- that's what I did in college with pizza boxes. <laughs> right. That sounds good. Oh man, now I'm hungry. Well done, Shannon. That sounds good. I'm starving. Can we order a pizza? That could be a first. Pizza oh, delivered during the Wood Talk podcast. That'd be good, but we'd all three have to order one separately, and then... That's fine. Then we'd all have to tip. We'd all get our own pizzas. Oh, we, we we should do that at Woodworking in America this year. We should order a, a pie, you know, and, yeah. and have it delivered to... While we record? Yeah. In a hotel room? That'll be great. Yeah. Oh, that's a good pizza idea. Pizza party. We could have, we'd do a pizza party as a, a bonus with, a, you know, a Patreon thing, you know? Come and yeah, hang I out like with that. us while we there eat pizza. There you go. I like it. Pizza, pizza party Fridays. with the guys. That'll be good. All right. So uh, let's move into what's new. Got some topics here. Not really much, but uh, let's see. NC Grimbo wrote in. He says, thought you guys might like to see this website. It's very cool. And this is at uh, Marco Terenzi. Is that how you pronounce that name? It's sure. a bunch of amazing, and I mean amazing miniature work. And uh, I thought you guys should see this, like a little hammer that's about uh, two well, let's see. The handle's probably about uh, four thumb lengths. <laughs> like it's so yeah. tiny. Um, and the great thing about this, it's you know part wood and a lot of like metal included. There's even a draw knife that's like smaller than palm size, uh, and really great photography on this stuff. So this is just a a website full of eye candy. Really amazing stuff. Now I'm curious. I mean, Shannon, you dabbled in making a miniature recently for like somewhat of a miniature for a prototype, right? Mm-hmm. And could you see yourself doing like really putting your best efforts into small full out projects like this? It's nuts. Hmm. No, I don't know. <laughs> like I used to love making models when I was, uh, when I was a, a kid. Mm-hmm. So there is something about like the really detailed nature. Like I made an aircraft carry one time and it was really, really cool to like paint all the little airplanes and put them in place. But I didn't make that. Yeah. You know, I, I'd like cut them out of like the little plastic like grid and like shaved off the lines and then painted them. But right. the stuff that, that Marco does is it's breathtaking, frankly. Do, um, the, do look at the miniature shop. Yeah. Yeah. What that's a whole different level. Like there's a workbench, a Rubo workbench. Um, he's got a little saw and there's even a, a shot of him sawing with the little baby saw. This is so well done that if you didn't see the relative things that are in there to show you the scale, you'd have no idea that this is not a full-size workbench. 
Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, Marco was at uh, uh, Woodworking in America last year, and he had his prototype of his low-angle jack, I think it was what it was, and it was the tiniest little plane. It was like the size of his thumb, and it was it worked. I I I hope he's there this year because I would like to shake this guy's tiny little hand. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the crazy thing is it's not just a miniature that's really detailed. They're working tools. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, look at the tool chest. The do- the dovetails on that thing are like like a baby's toenail. <laughs> like they're so small. Unbelievable detail. This is so good. I'm very impressed with this. Well, I hope I hope to meet that guy. Very cool. Yeah. All right, Shannon. What's this? You had some crap you need to talk about. I I don't need to talk about it. I, I, I labeled it as not important, but if you want to talk about it, go ahead. <laughs> I was uh, particularly <laughs> excited that Popular Woodworking published my article on Yay! buying lumber. Well done. Yeah. So if you if you want kind of sort of a sneak peek of one of my classes at Woodworking in America, is some of the principles are laid out in this article in. Sweet. So I don't have to go to your session then if I read uh, this <laughs> August issue of popular woodworking. Well, yeah, but I think the sessions are like 90 minutes long. So, yeah. um, I'll, I'll stretch it out and throw more on there. Now, really I, slowly. The, the principles laid out and in, in preparing for a trip to the lumber yard, we're going to turn it into a much more interactive session. Um, and you'll be shirtless. Be. So there's that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> with the, with the cooks are full of water. Yeah. I'm going to turn it into kind of a Gallagher concert. So bring plastic sheeting for the first two rows. Nice. You're going to turn that, some of that wet wood too. So yeah. you have like snorkels for everyone in the front row too. Most definitely. <laughs> That's going to be awesome though. Well, congratulations, man. Getting, getting published is always a, a, a fun thing. And, um, I haven't, I don't know if I have an active subscription. I should probably get one. Yeah, well, they sent me a print copy because that's what they send, you know, they send you to as an mm-hmm. author. It's the first time I've gotten a print copy of Popular Woodworking in a long, long time. Right. Well, it's cool, though, because now you got it. You can kind of cut your article out, put it in a frame on the wall, you know, show your friends and family. They'll all be impressed. That's great. I have to go look for it. I don't know if I got it. I don't know if my subscription is still active. That's, like that's said, my Mark. problem. I, I, I sometimes I I lose track of it and I don't know if it is. <laughs> you know what? They, I don't think they pester you as much as Fine Woodworking does. Like no. when you are, when your subscription is uh lapsing with fine woodworking, you know it, like you can't forget it. <laughs> I don't think pop woodworking is quite as bad. Maybe I, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't remember seeing much in the way of like offers and come back. They to- just send me emails for other stuff. That's right. Yes. Other ads. Or how about the, uh, the one-time tool ad that you see 10 times, depending on like <laughs> what, what you're subscribed to. If you, uh, you get the one directly from uh, what is it? Woodpeckers <laughs> that does that. Uh-huh. Then you yep. get, then you get pop woodworkings version. Then you get Highland woodworkings version. It's so fun when, when you're, when these lists Woodcraft are sold. Sounds fun too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so you'll find out like four or five times about this one time tool, which might not be one time. Yeah. One time <laughs> asterisk. <laughs> depends. One time this week. Yeah. Depends on how much they sell. Uh, cool. All right. Well, we've got a kickback here. Um, didn't get a whole lot of kickback, but this one is pertaining to the metal cutting miter saw question that we got last week. If you guys recall that, uh, this one's from Andrew. He says, uh, I flipped through an enormous grizzly catalog and found an item that might be of interest to said listener, the model G eight one eight three four and a half inch angle grinder, uh, doubles the versatility of your portable grinder. Oh, it's a stand, I guess, making it the perfect tool for cutting tubing, bar stock and rebar. Uh, it says, I can't recall the dimensions of the metal he'd intended to cut, but this grizzly tool turns an ordinary angle grinder into a mini cutoff saw. It even has an adjustable cam clamp, uh, as a vice. It might be worth a look, especially at less than $30. So there you go. Not a bad solution. Thanks for that, Andrew. 
Wow. Nice to know. Yeah, not too bad. It's good. That's why the audience is here to uh, fill in the gaps that stuff we don't know about. Sell me something. Yes. I just think it sounds like like the opening to some sort of like comic book. It turns this ordinary angle grinder into <laughs> mini cutoff saw. It's yes. mini cutoff saw, man. <laughs> yes, oh, I, wait, there's more. I've read about him. <laughs> he wears spandex. It's good stuff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, speaking of things that stretch, how about silicone rings? Wow, that was nice. Yeah, well I kind of had to work hard for that one. Um, yeah, so let's talk about our good friends over at Kalo. And uh, Matt, uh, it's your turn to talk about it because Shannon talked about his experience so far. I, I kind of let it off when the, the campaign with Kalo started. And um, I am still in love with my Kalo ring. And uh, so you've had one for a while now. What's, what's, what's your thoughts on it? Is it something you think you can work into your, your lifestyle, your logging lifestyle? <laughs> I do find that I wear... Um a ring more often now because it's just more comfortable in general. Well, tell me so, your ring situation. Let's, let's take a step back. What okay. was your, what was your ring situation prior to getting the Kalo? Did you wear your wedding ring at all or was no. it an occasional? Okay. So you just didn't wear it. I never really wore it much to my wife's dismay. Okay. Um, when I, so I have a couple of issues with wearing it. The, the first is obviously scratching it and damaging it. It's a, it's a what? 14 karat gold. I thought you were going to say, like obviously gold. you don't want people to know you're married because <laughs> that's where the obviously went obviously when you're living the, the hustler lifestyle you know you don't want that's a dead giveaway yeah you don't want no, any tan lines there well, either yeah. plus i figured away. after after last week's ladies work comment i thought uh, maybe this is a new side of matt that, that we're not familiar with i was gonna say i don't know whether it's matt doesn't want anybody to think he's married it's maybe Lindsay doesn't want anyone to think that she's married <laughs> you never know <laughs> it, might be, it might be the other way around <laughs> anyway, not to interrupt you. So you, you, it's gold and it might scratch. It might scratch. And then the other thing is that I have really weird knuckles. Oh. So my knuckles are bigger than the bottom of my fingers. So my wedding ring is actually loose on my finger. Oh, interesting. Uh, which is very dangerous as I found out the first week I was married as I was feeding a board back over the table saw after doing a rip cut. The corner of the board caught on the ring and kind of pivoted the board back towards the blade Luckily, it didn't hit the blade, but I could have yeah. thrown that right back in my face. But the feeling of losing absolute control, like I was expecting that board to just flow through my hand like you would any other time. But no, it, put it through your hand. All of a sudden, the board stops and starts going somewhere else. That was kind of scary. Yeah, no kidding, man. I but, can see uh, why anyway, you wouldn't wear one then after that. Yeah, that, was, that was a scary one. So yeah, I, don't, I never wore it in the shop anymore after that. I, I actively took it off and then... Over time, I just kind of just didn't wear it because I was in the shop often enough where I just kind of like, well, why would I even put it on? But yeah. uh, this last, what, like month or two months, however long we've had these things, it's been mm-hmm. really good. I don't wear my ring all the time, but when I do, I find like I'm actually wearing it outside to like do yard work or um, in the shop doing something at the bench. Or you know, I still don't wear it if I'm doing anything with the power tools because I do have that catch issue. Yeah, sure. Well, um, that, and that can happen with rubber or metal. So yeah, it's good to be cautious. So I still don't wear it all the time, but overall it's been really good. I've been wearing a ring a lot more. I'm pretty happy about that. Does uh, Lindsay like it? She does. She does like it. Nice. Well, Makes her cool. happy. Yeah, of course. So that. Happy wife, happy life situation, right? Been very good lately, yes. <laughs> very cool, man. <laughs> well, I'm digging mine, and frankly, I don't even know I have it on most of the time. It's it's, uh, And I'll tell you what, I actually put on um, 
uh, suntan lotion the other day. And then I went to dry my hands on the towel and I guess I got a little lotion underneath it. I had no idea. I even slid the thing off. Like it's that lightweight. And once, (laughs) once I had something like schmutz under it, it was easy for it to pull off when I was drying my hands aggressively. Um, so, you know, that's the cool thing about it is it's so lightweight. You just have no idea it's even there. And I'm not, I'm not a big jewelry guy. Like I don't want stuff that I I'm, I'm aware of on me all the time. And at the the ring, my wedding ring, I kind of just got used to it. But now that I, I don't know that I'd ever want to go back to the metal ring if I could stay with something <laughs> this lightweight uh, because it's so darn comfortable. Um, and one more thing I can add, too, is that yeah. they sent me a few of them. They sent me like, like a few of them, whatever. Okay. So I have them in different places with the house. Whereas like before, like I have like four or five places where I'd normally put my wedding ring. So I was always like, where the heck is the stupid thing? I had yeah. to like go somewhere and I wanted to wear it out. Like running all over the house trying to find my ring. Oh crap! I lost it. Wait, yeah. no, I didn't. Now I have a bunch of rings. They're and they're cheap enough that if you do lose it, I don't feel that bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the so they start at fifty ninety nine. You could have multiples around the house. You could have different colors. You know, depending you want to you want to be fashionable and uh, uh, sort of match it up to whatever you're wearing. You could do gotta that match too. Your socks. It would see, <laughs> but that's why I always have black because it kind of goes with everything. Um, and black works for me. But anyway, if you want to uh, check them out, go to Kalo.com. That's Q-A-L-O.com. Use the discount code WOODTALK, and you'll get that 15% off your first order. Highly recommended, guys. The uh, the three WOODTALK guys are sporting them. They're very nice, lightweight, and uh, they definitely up the safety factor for sure. So check them out. That's Kalo. And we've got a voicemail here, and this one is from Joe. Let me see if I get that queued up. Hopefully it's loud enough. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Joe from Connecticut. I had a quick question on maybe a two-part shop, Uh, just getting into woodworking. I have all my mechanical stuff in uh, the garage, and uh, it's only a one-car detached garage, but wondering what you guys thought about having uh, just my bench and maybe hand tool stuff in the the basement and keeping the garage separate. Uh, Just wondering if it's a good idea, bad idea, if there's pitfalls, downsides to it, or just say screw it and take over the garage. Keep up the good work, guys. Thanks. Bye. All right. So Joe is considering contemplating a two-part shop. And uh, this is not a novel idea. I've heard of people doing this before, at least uh, considering it. In fact, Tommy Mack is building a new shop on his property, and it's two floors. And I think he's having a, a similar setup where, like, upstairs might be, like, office space and hand tool area. And then the more heavy stuff that you don't want to lug up steps is going to be on the, the bottom floor. And uh, I and this is not to begrudge anyone who does this. And I would love to hear from people who do to, to understand a little bit more about it. It sounds like a nightmare to me <laughs> to have like, because I don't know about you guys, but I'm throughout any particular project. I am back and forth to the bench, to the power tools, back to the bench. And, you know, maybe it's the, the hybrid sort of style of woodworking, but a lot of people do that to me. That sounds really difficult to have to move project parts back and forth between these two areas. Uh, does this sound appealing to either of you? It sounds this. really appealing, but I'm always hesitant for the exact reason you just said. And I, I think there is something of like the romanticized hand tool thing. So um, what sounds appealing? Just having just sort of a hand tools only area that looks like a Lee Nielsen store? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I would love to be able to move like my planer and my dust collector like into a separate room and have have that kind of machine room a machine thing. room okay um you know and that that's all i would move because i'm not 
back and forth like you are. I'm at the bench the whole time. That's the center of my shot. No, you're weird. Um, so, <laughs> but you know, if I am using the planer, the the power planer to mill lumber, um, that's usually kind of its own little process. And then things move to the bench, and I do the work that I need to do there. Um, so I could really see. Like, see, I'm in my garage. Um, I don't have another space to go to. But if I were to build like a standalone shop, part of me thinks it'd be fun to move all of my hand tools and my workbench like out into the standalone shop and to leave the dust collector, leave the thickness planer and then like leave like my finishing stuff. Like, you know, so I've got like a separate finishing room, too. But but you're, you're talking one floor. Annoying. You're talking one floor, though, right? Well, in, in my mind, I'm thinking two separate buildings, like, but still on the same floor. I'm talking the, yeah, the, to me, yeah. the difference maker here is the steps. Yeah. True. So, so, um, Matt, I heard you say that you actually had that situation before. Tell me about that. Yeah. So on the, the last two shops I had when I started woodworking, I was in a rental. Um, so I had a house, so I had the basement and then the garage. And at the, the last shop that I was at, the garage had like power tools in it. And then, and especially because it was the winter time, I used the basement for like the, the hand tools and like the assembly and stuff because it was a lot easier to just go down the basement. It's already heated. I don't have to like go up in the shop and turn on the torpedo heater and try and get that place warmed up or whatever. Sure. So it was a huge pain in the butt, like huge, huge pain in the butt. Yeah. Like extremely annoying. And then before that, I had a one car garage and then I had the basement as well. And the garage had the table saw and like my chop saw. And that was a little bit better because I would like, go out there and cut some pieces down and like bring it down to the basement and do all my joinery, my assembly and stuff down there. But Oh my gosh, if you're like, I need to go and cross cut these pieces. Okay. Then go back outside again and then come back downstairs again. And then, Oh, it's too short still or too long. Still back upstairs again. It was <laughs> yeah. good exercise. I mean, there's that, I guess it takes, <laughs> I speaking of things taking longer. That's why I was walking around all the yeah. time instead of actually getting stuff done. I would love <laughs> you, to um, you bring up a good point about the weather though. Like, having to heat two spaces, like if you're going to be back and forth from one to the other, you kind of got to keep them both heated or both cooled. And, yeah. you know, then you did that, you know, leaving the expense aside of having to do that, that could be a real problem for your lumber. You know, yeah. if you're yeah. bouncing back and forth from different climates, that could be a little rough. Yeah. Like what I used to do is like do my, I would do the glue up in the, in the house because the outside mm-hmm. wasn't really, consistently heated so i have to do my glue ups inside so i was taking boards from outside bringing them inside doing the glue up let them dry bring them back outside again or bring them back wherever they're going back and forth all the time and I back then i didn't really think about it but yeah probably wasn't the greatest thing for my lumber <laughs> <laughs> i think i would rather work in a smaller space and make do with all of my tools in a smaller space than be a little bit more spread out and have them on two floors yeah there's a reason why i have like a one room shop now yeah Interesting. Well, you know what? I would love to hear from people who who do this. I might even talk to uh, Tommy and find out his justification because he's building from scratch, you know, so I don't know if maybe he has limitations in how big the footprint can be. So the only thing to do is go vertical or, you know, what, what the exact justification is. But that doesn't sound like to me, it doesn't sound like the ideal setup, but he's an experienced woodworker uh, who, you know, I'm curious what his opinion is and why he does that. Maybe I'll give him a call and find out. Maybe I'll get him on the show. How about that? Cool. I mean, I think if you're just putting like an office or like a design space, totally like a little that's, gallery, or that's something. awesome. Yeah. You know, that's like go upstairs, sit down in a comfy chair with like a drafting table, you know, turn on some music and, and, and just be creative. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, 
Yeah, I can totally see that. Maybe maybe a space to stick some lumber and like if it gets hot up there and use it as a kiln. Right. Yeah. In the attic. But yeah, an actual working space, I could see that being difficult going up and downstairs. Yeah, get old quickly. Um, and hey, if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can. And I'm going to mention this from now on at the voicemail, just in case anyone it gets the urge to call us in the middle of the show. Um, you can uh, get us on Skype. Our name is Wood Talk Online. And you can also call the phone number 623-242-5180 and we'll play your voicemail on the show. So let's get into our emails here. Got a couple of them we'll get through fairly quickly. Tim wrote in and he says, certain species such as cedar, white oak, redwood are better for uh, holding up out into it. Yeah, I'm going to read this like a dummy here. (laughs) They're holding up to outdoor conditions. Uh, What sheet goods, if any, are good choices for outdoor applications? Now, for me, the only outdoor-esque sort of plywood that I've ever used was like MDO. Right, so imagine sort of sort like a paper laminate outside layer over plywood, and I'm assuming they also use uh, adhesives that are going to hold up. And this is kind of the stuff that they use for um, signs, um, like you see on the freeway that that type of signage. So Shannon, being the the lumber dealer guy, what what kind of outdoor sheet good options do people have? Um, this is a real um, difficult one because there's so many different terms and so many different products out there and invariably they tend to all get labeled marine grade plywood okay all right. <laughs> it's like i need some marine grade plywood and it's like well what kind of marine grade plywood i don't know marine grade plywood and and you immediately think well I, i'm not building a boat you know why do i need marine grade plywood i just need to build like a you know a table or something like that mm-hmm. um the industry as a whole will label everything as marine grade meaning that it's got meets certain tests of uh, um waterproof and boilproof glue but at its basis there's like douglas fir plywood doug fir is a pretty resistant um uh, pretty good exterior species on its own so you build the the sheet entirely out of doug fir and you use a good waterproof boilproof glue to put it all together but doug fir plywood that's great for like you know hammering up to the side of your house when the hurricane comes a blowing you know <laughs> right it's, yeah it's, it's not flat it's not you know stable it maybe he's going to have lots of voids and stuff but the material the raw material itself is a pretty good exterior species so it makes a good water resistant um weather resistant type plywood so for something kind of construction based where you might end up cladding it with something else or it's just a temporary type thing douglas fir you know, sometimes it'll be called exterior plywood. Sometimes it will actually be called marine grade plywood. When you get into the real marine grade stuff, and this is where if you're building a nicer piece of furniture or you're building something that actually goes in the water, like a boat, you want real marine grade plywood that's going to have, see, and this is where things get difficult, is there's a, a series of regulations and standards that people used to adhere to called um, British Standard 1088, British Standard 6566. Don't pay attention to those numbers because they did away with them. (laughs) I don't know why, you know, but everyone still cites BS 1088 is like the gold standard for marine grade plywood. And it has very, very stringent regulations that mean that it will not delaminate. You can like stick it under the water and it's totally um, waterproof. It will have no seams in the um, the veneers, so you're you're always talking about a peeled log rather than like quarter sawn sequence matched. They're always peeled so that you don't have any seams because obviously seams is where water can get through. So once you start getting into real marine grade plywood, Maranti plywood, Akume plywood, Hydrotech, um, Marine Tech, those are all brand names. Um, you get a beautiful sheet. 
really beautiful, ridiculously flat, ridiculously stable, 100% the same species throughout in most cases. And again, no seams, so no voids whatsoever. But you're also talking about $150 to $280 a sheet. Whoa, geez. So, um, and then you get into like the, you know, super hecked out, brunzeal, all 100% sapili, and you're in the $300 a sheet. <laughs> the the people that use this also build fifteen million dollar yachts. Yeah, yeah. So you know the cost of the plywood is a drop in the bucket when the you know one of the seven engines costs more than your house. So you know yeah. it's it's why would you skimp at that point? You know why would you do nothing but the very very best? Um, so what about the average average Joe wants to build a, I don't know a, a barbecue stand or something or a cabinet that's going to be outside. It yeah. is the best option to simply buy a good quality plywood and then coat the crap out of it with a marine grade <laughs> varnish or something? I mean, I do think that there's some merit to that, especially if you're using like the, the CPE stuff, the mm-hmm. epoxy stuff. But right. you know, that stuff's expensive. Well, the finish alone so, would probably be more than the plywood you put into it. Right. So the point is you really have to weigh you, – you can add some weather resistance by finish alone, but you're talking about film finishes, which as we know, film finishes – stuff gets under the film finishes and you have to renew them and that can be kind of a nightmare to do. Mm-hmm. So you may end up spending just as much by buying a bunch of finish to put you know, five coats of a thick whatever finish that might give you trouble because it doesn't apply well because it's really thick or whatever. Um, you can buy middle-of-the-road – Marine grade plywood. Maranti plywood is a good example of that. Uh, one of the brand names would be Marine Tech and Hydrotech. Mm-hmm. Um, they're made by Jobert. Um, most places will carry that. Most good plywood dealers will carry that. Did you say Joe Bear? Like a bear's yeah. name? That his Joe name is Bear. Joe? Joe, Joe the Bear. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, there's that J-R-U-B-E-R-T. bear. Joe. B-E-R-T. How you doing? Jubert. <laughs> Jubert. Okay, gotcha. Like like Cubert, but with I prefer J-B-E-R-T. to think of Joe the Bear. Um, Brunzeal made by the, um, Allen company or Jobert. They're both French companies. They make really, really good marine grade plywood, but the Jobert stuff tends to be more middle of the road. Mm, okay. Um, I still think you're talking in the $80 sheet range though. That's not terrible. I mean, no, it's, it's not expensive, and, but and if you figure a gallon, what is it? What was, what's a gallon of that clear penetrating epoxy? Oh God, what a, gallon? a gallon size? Jeez. It? Uh, you probably can, uh, but I've only bought the smaller cans of it. Yeah. It, that's going to run you a pretty penny. Yeah. So you figure a good quality hardwood plywood, somewhere around 60 to $70 a sheet, right? Yeah. Eh, you know, add 30 bucks to that for a good middle of the road marine grade ply, and you're probably just going to be better off. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can get nice stuff. You know, Maranti is, is in the mahogany family, so you can get that look to it. Um, you know, you can also get uh, other species, but you tend to get real expensive real fast there. Wow. So okay. the biggest issue you're going to have is showing up at a dealer and saying, I need to buy marine gray plywood. Right. <laughs> Show that, up that and conversation. Say, I need to buy marine gray plywood and here's exactly what I plan to do with it and the type of environment it's going to be in and what I'm looking for in stability. And oh, by the way, I'd like to spend, you know, $80 a sheet. Um, give them as much information as possible because the thing with plywood is anybody can create the sheet that you're looking for. If you come to them and say, I want to spend $20 on a sheet, they can do that. Well, the Chinese can. Um, that's that's where this that's where the whole import plywood market came from. It's like, well, we feel that there's a market in the twenty seven dollars sheet range, so let's cut this corner and this corner, and let's thin this glue out here, and you know, let's fire the entire quality control team. So you may not know what you're getting. Yes, and they created the, a twenty seven dollars sheet because we need, we need potato chips. So yeah, they exactly. got to come from somewhere. You know, so a lot of times going there and saying, I am prepared to spend 
$80 for the sheet. That actually can go a long way, you know, and it flies in the face of everything we've been taught about negotiation. You know, you don't want to throw that number first because they're going to, you're going to pay for that. Well, something to be said about that. You know, if you know that I bought a good sheet of plywood in the past and I paid $75 for it, well, to get the same sheet of plywood, you probably should pay the same amount. If it's dramatically cheaper, there's a reason for it. Yeah. A corner has been cut somewhere. And, and that has a negative connotation. It doesn't always mean it's a crappy piece of plywood. Mm-hmm. Sometimes corners can be cut because it's just not necessary to go to that nth degree to make that perfect, you know, unbelievably stable, waterproof piece of plywood. Cool. Sounds plywood's good. confusing as all get out. Well, yeah. I mean, at its, at its best, it's confusing. <laughs> so, yeah. geez. All right. Let's hit the next one. Okay. That's you. That's you. Just yeah. Keep talking. It, please yeah. don't, just don't stop. Talking. All right. This comes from, <laughs> from Matthew Leonard. I don't know why we're so formal here. Matthew Leonard. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I felt I wanted to put his last name in there for some reason. It's important. Maybe because he had two first names. Yeah. Never trust him. Remember. <laughs> so Matthew says, um, Shannon's focus on the importance of sawing techniques really resonates with me. Good. And my practice has paid off with less time spent chewing boards after sawing. However, on a whim, I purchased a few Japanese pull saws, and the results I've gotten are almost supernaturally good. <laughs> My question is, cue the X-Files music. Yeah. <laughs> My question is, what am I missing? Western saws now seem both cumbersome to operate and expensive to purchase, at least the nice ones I've been buying. Am I going to hit a wall with these Japanese saws during some unthinkable build and run back to my Western saws? Or is it just happenstance and some people have similar results with Western saws? Okay. Here is a um, particularly controversial topic. <laughs> We're going to have to have Wilbur on, I think, to yeah. uh, hit the well, other side. You know, I, I can go first on this. I've used both. I settled into Western saws, and I think kind of what he's getting at to the end, it's like some people just kind of take to one over the other. Mm-hmm. I did not like the body mechanics that came with uh, a, an Eastern saw. I didn't like the, the handle, the grip. I like a pistol grip on, on a back saw. And, and, um, I, I like that feel. Um, I don't like gents handle saws. You guys know what gents handle saws yes, are? I hate those. Yeah. yeah terrible. I, I've never liked them. So, and that's kind of similar to the Japanese, just the long stick, right? Um, the geometry is different. Certainly. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to saw everything down on the ground. Um, and it doesn't mean you have to just saw softwood. Don't worry, Wilbur. I'm, I'm not going to say that, but there, there is, they are very different in, in how you approach things. Certainly, you know, the pull stroke feels a lot easier for a lot of people beginning in sawing for the same reason that a lot of people want to make a backstroke to start a saw cut, even though I think that's very, very bad and wrong. Don't do that. Um, but it does feel natural. Um, it is a way to get that, that cut started. That's a lot easier. The, uh, the saw plate will straighten out as you pull it. So there's some real kind of mechanical things that sound like it's a good idea to go to Japanese saws. But for me, it just doesn't work. Uh, and, and I think it's probably because I fell into Western saws and that was just how I developed my technique. Um, I keep telling myself that one of these days I'm going to like put them all aside, get a couple of Japanese tools and like, you know, sequester myself, huh. you know, put on my, um, just get my, over that uh, hump, my karate kid headband and go out to the shop and, and, and go all Japanese woodworking for a while. And I would probably adopt that technique over time. Um, <clears throat> there's no question. I know a lot of people who will not cut dovetails with anything but a dozuki. You know, they like the thin curve. They like the feel of it. They feel like they have a control over it. Not a thing wrong with that. Um, me personally, I'm exactly the opposite of, of what Matthew's saying here. So, right. 
What about you guys? Have you used one or the other, Gravitate Sword 1? And why? Um, I <laughs> have Western primarily, and it's it's really just because, kind of like you, it's the most comfortable to me. It feels the most natural. I do have a Dozuki that I use, but it's mostly like my... I guess I kind of use it like a gent saw. It's sort of my my general use. I, I've I've got it around for cutting dowels and things like that. It just comes in handy, and I you know I, I like it, but I haven't really used them much for important things. You know, so when I really need to dial in a cut, get right on a line, I feel like the the pistol grip of you know a, a good Lee Nielsen handsaw, classic Western saw, just does it for me. And I haven't. I guess I haven't felt the need to kind of explore what, uh, what I, what I might be missing, you know, it's, it works well for me. It does what I need it to do. Um, and the funny thing is I've got, you know, uh, Japanese chisels that I absolutely adore and I prefer them over, you know, a classic, classic Western style chisel. So I might just as well like the, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of Japanese saws that are out there, but it just, I'm, I'm fine with what I have. So I haven't really worried about it too much. Yeah. Good point. What say you, Matt? Matt? I don't know. I'm trying to think of something different to say besides you, Mark. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got exactly the same kind of uh, thing going on here. Except I don't even have any Japanese saws unless you call my little flush trim Irwin saw a Japanese saw, which I guess it technically is. But right. I would really classify <laughs> it on the pole as one. Stroke, right? Yeah. Yes, it cuts on the pulse stroke, so it must be a Japanese saw. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you have it? I mean, I've, I don't really have much in the way of control issues. But again, like I said, I'm not cutting dovetails with uh, with the Dozuki that I have. But I've you know, I kind of go back and forth. It's not like I pick that up and suddenly it's like, you know, Whoa, like I don't know what I'm doing. It's, you know, it's, not, it's like there's arms and elbows everywhere. Yeah, I'm, oh, not, no. I'm not like Jello man for the moment. Um, it's not that bad, you know, but, but there is clearly a fundamental difference. So when you're doing that really accurate sort of sawing, um, but it's interesting to see that that's, that people would, I guess it makes sense. People would just kind of find one naturally more comfortable than another. Here, let's see. I, I'm trying to get this uh, this thing queued up here. Do you know what this is? Try to be best, cause you're only a man, and a man's gotta learn to take it. <laughs> that, that's what you should have playing in the background when you sequester yourself in your Japanese tool. Uh, I love it. Gotta have a montage. <laughs> Good stuff. I'm going to get into like playing copyrighted music on this show just to see how far I can go with it. Yeah, right. Probably so pretty far. Yeah, we don't have that big of an audience. Oh, that's <laughs> great. Anyway, well, you know, I would love to hear from folks that, you know, if you are so pro Japanese saw, like, how did you start? And I, I have to wonder if that's where it comes from. Like, well, yeah. you know, that's what I got started. And I just, you know, it ain't broke. Um, you know, I admit to being a little attracted to the bling of Western saws. Um, but yeah. at the same time, there are some beautiful Japanese saws out there. So I don't know. I, I am certainly intrigued. Um, one of these days I will I will um, channel my Mr. Miyagi. And I don't know what it is with Karate Kid with me today. I keep going back there. I don't know, but we can do so, do with some more of this. <laughs> Hold on, let's let's listen to it for a second. It takes long to get to the good part, doesn't it? All right, that's good stuff. You know, I, I want to go watch a it. musical montage song from Team America: World Police. Now, <laughs> oh, no, 
that could get us into <laughs> that, trouble that, there. That is, one, that is one video on YouTube that I was like, yep, there's a copyright violation. I put that in the middle of one of, of actually the very first guild build, the, the um, okay. uh, side table thing. Yep, yep, yep. I threw that musical montage thing in and I'm like, this is well before content ID. And then when the content ID came and hammered me, I'm like, yep, I admit to it. I'm not taking it out. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's just worth it, you know? Yes, it's worth absolutely. it for the loss of revenue. <laughs> you know, put your ads on top of it. I don't care. I'm keeping it in. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's do this last one real quick because we said we would do it. Uh, let's just uh, let's pinch it off. Okay, this one's from Charles. Uh, I'll just summarize it here. Basically, you know, everyone's like talks about tools. They might give glowing recommendations for certain tools and then you're going to go around and buying them. So the question is really, have you been screwed by one of these recommendations or have it been, has it been so good that you've just been like butterflies and kittens mm. with this recommendation that someone gave? It's an interesting See, question. And, and I think, I think you're glossing over some things here and I appreciate your desire to summarize, but since Matt Vanderlis <laughs> isn't here to defend himself, I yeah. think we need to talk about the fact that he says that Mark knew Matt and Shannon have had very good recommendations, yeah. but Matt Vanderlis screwed him because he recommended <laughs> a certain carbide tip glue <laughs> scraper uh, made by Benchcrafted. He says perhaps Mark, uh, and I'll tell you what, I, I've never had my hands on the thing. So I know it was Matt. It was Matt Vanderlis. I remember that episode. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So yeah. He's not here to defend himself, so we can throw him under the bus. That's always fun to do. Um, so have you, can can you think of anything? Because I had trouble coming up with something to say, oh, so-and-so influenced me to buy that tool, and it turned out to be a dud. I mean, anytime I've had a recommendation, I've either spotted right away that this is crap, and this person, maybe it's useful for them, but I wouldn't like it, or I've actually gotten good recommendations. Maybe I've just gotten lucky. Can you think of anything? Hmm. Yeah, I don't have any that are like, you know, bad ones where it's like, this was not for me. I think most of the time when I see, like I'm, I got to that point pretty quickly where I could like see what would make sense to me. Yeah. For my process. Like if someone is showing off this tool and it looks good for them, but I know that I don't work that way or it's just for whatever reason wouldn't work for me. I wouldn't, I just don't buy it. I don't know. Yeah. I guess at a certain point, you know enough about what you do or how you do the work that this thing, maybe it works for that person, but it's not quite going to do the same thing in your shop. I think where this probably where this has bit me and probably a lot of people in the same boat is in sharpening. Um, there's always like the next big sharpening thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I, I got to say, I got highly recommended to try a WorkSharp back in the early WorkSharp days before they've done all the latest iterations. And I was so underwhelmed by that tool. Um, it, it ended up sitting on a shelf after a while because it just... Um, and I know people who swear by it and love it. And there's a lot of people who will recommend it highly today. Just didn't really do anything for me. Yeah. And I could even go so far to say the Tormek was the same way. Kaleo Kala, way, way back when Kaleo had a podcast, he was all about the Tormek. In fact, I think that's what um, they had at the school when he did his um, his um, cabinet cabinet making program. Okay, He was all about the Tormek. He's like, this is the thing. That's the only thing I need to sharpen stuff. And you know, and I still own one and it, it, I use it for sharpening turning tools when I have to like dramatically change geometry, but it is slow, man. <laughs> it's slow as dirt. Well, and it's a whole process because you got to fill the little trough with water and yeah. you know, you got to be ready to like, okay, today's sharpening day. Yeah. And I, and I think it's less that, you know, like the workshop or the Tormek are bad tools. They just don't fit my way of doing things. Well, it's a system you have to adopt and be ready yeah, to go to I, it. I don't like systems, man. I'm a sharpening anarchist. Screw the system. 
Yeah. The, the anarchist sharpener. I'm going to take that before Chris Schwartz does. <laughs> I'm sure he's got everything already under, you know, it's under the, uh, what, what's the name of their company? Lost Art Press. Lost Art Press. There you go. It's under their. How, how ironic would that be to trademark anarchy? <laughs> yeah, just, that would just be. think about that. People. It doesn't make sense, does it? It's deep. That was profound. Mm, interesting if i do say so myself yeah so i can't think of anything bad i'm trying to think of anything on the other end of the scale something that was recommended to me i probably have a lot of things i mean this is going to be a boring answer to the question there's a lot of things that i've had recommended that i go yep this is as awesome as that person said it was i think the problem here is we're probably the people who are more likely to make said recommendations (laughs) right so people are the answer folks you tell us yeah let us know have we uh not done you justice in a, in a certain recommendation or, you know, or are we usually pretty accurate? I, I think that's the, the thing is not being really attached to any major company in a sense, like we're all independent. It becomes very easy to give our honest opinion. And, and I'll tell you that, you know, the truth, there's times where I was uncomfortable giving a recommendation for a tool. So I bowed out, you know, rather than throw a company under the bus, I just kept quiet about it. And maybe that's not ethically right to do, but it felt at the time like the smart way to go. But I will never praise a tool or anything at that, for that matter that I don't truly believe in, you know, and I think that that saves you from getting in hot water in situations like this. It just doesn't make sense. This, the way things are online these days, you can't get away with that. You know, you recommend something just because someone paid you to do it and you're going to you're going to be in hot water pretty soon. I mean, people will call you out quickly uh, with oh, that yeah. kind of crap. So you got to be careful. Yeah. See, I think the other thing is in. In my formative days as a woodworker, um, there there wasn't a lot of content online. Yeah. Um, so we had to, you know, go off of magazine recommendations or a lot of times just trial and error. So I bought a lot of crappy tools, but the only recommendation I had was my own. Yeah. You know, I bought some really stinky router beds in the past thinking, you know, why did I do that? But it was more of, hey, the price is right. I right. got to have them, you know? Yeah. Because um, I saw Norm use it on – or um, – God, what were those guys? The old router workshop. Oh, show. yeah. The was like a father and son team, right? Yeah. They always had some little cool jig or gimmick or whatever. And I oh, bought I stuff from them that just like totally was, forgot about them. Yeah. Interesting. Quality was always there, but they didn't sell router beds or anything. It was just stuff but, that like I, I bought and then I was like, why did I buy this? Well, like, and then the other thing is you got to consider the source. These are two guys who pretty much build every project exclusively with the router or the router table. Right. Matt, have you ever seen them? No. Yeah, this is, I can't, I, like, they were totally erased from my memory until you just brought it up, the router workshop. And uh, the father had, um like, he had a very distracting lump on his head. Do you remember yeah. that, right? Yeah, like a, like, um, an, like an egg on his head. Yeah. But I, I don't know what his, what I don't know if it was like a surgery thing or what. Yeah, I don't know what the condition was. I don't, not, I'm not trying to make fun of it, but it was like, when you're working at a router table, what are you usually doing? You're leaning forward, so that's all you could see is the this little you know egg on the guy's head. Um, but I had to just remember that, yeah. So this was, I don't know how long ago it was, but it's definitely while like New Yankee Workshop was um, still yeah. you know popular on <laughs> late nineties, early two thousand. I would yeah. say probably. I wonder if there's any videos online. The what is it? The router workshop, right? Yeah. Yeah, you have to check it out, Matt. If you can <laughs> walk down memory lane there. <laughs> well, I mean, you, they've As got they've show, got something on YouTube was, at least. It was kind of interesting because you're right. 
the like the shop, the set was just like two router tables. Yep. You know, made the dueling router tables, and they made everything at the router table. Yeah, it's it's they pretty big for anything. It's it's one of those things where you go, now that's dedication. Like to be able to do that operation that might have been much easier to do elsewhere, <laughs> but yeah. but you're going to do it on that router table. But but it, it was good for you know inspiring you to to the things you can do with something as versatile as a router. 183 episodes of this yeah yeah it's old school man go check it out it's good stuff all right cool well there you go we're we're we're, uh giving the youngin some tips here i like it (laughs) the tip is watch a couple episodes and then stop yeah let us know what you think let us know if you get through the full episode that's that's the question Oh, all right. Watch now. All right. Yeah, good stuff. All right. Well, if you want to support the show, you can. You could set up a recurring or a one-time donation over at woodtalkshow.com. You can get yourself a Woodtalk t-shirt. Just go to wood... No. What is it? TWWstore.com. Just doing this off the top of my head, and it's not going very well. <laughs> you can get a t-shirt there. You could also leave us an iTunes review, and I think I have one here to read from uh, 10, to, 10 to 46. Boy, I hope that isn't some kind of weird euphemism or something so, so that's our demographic yeah i guess 10 to 46 that's that's we, who we, we appeal we to pull heavily amongst 10 year olds i like and, that that's very yeah. good uh tom's <laughs> tips he says tom's tips jingle starts playing i have to agree with the other reviewers the comparisons to car talk are inevitable the show is becoming a classic and it's because the hosts make topics seem fresh even when revisiting subjects from past episodes i'm still working fresh. through the say what we're fresh yes that <laughs> and still working through is that a cat food commercial I have no idea. I think it is. I'm going to look that up. I'm still working through the archive and enjoying it tremendously. Thanks, guys. Keep up the great work. Mike in Singapore. Well, thank you so much, Mike. You, uh, you're the best around. And I'm going to play a little music while <laughs> Shannon reads the, the rest of the stuff in the show notes. You're the best. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, all right, folks. If you have comments, questions, or topic suggestions, you are the best around. You can be the best around if you contact us on Skype. Our username is Woodtalk Online. Our voicemail line is 623-242-5180. Or you can use our fancy contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact. Go to our website, leave comments on these posts at woodtalkshow.com, or or you can be the best around by going to thewoodwhisperer.com, renaissancewoodwork.com, and mattcomona.com. Nice. I forgot to tell you, I shortened that a little bit at the end. I took a few extra things out that didn't need to be there, so... Okay. Yeah, read it and you'll see I, I shortened it. <laughs> Sorry. Oops. Should have told surprise. You. Yeah, surprise. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. Later. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.